Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and this is episode 78. We're continuing our series focusing on women in leadership. And today we're going to be talking about some big topics, gender equity, stereotypes, and imposter syndrome. These are huge topics, and we're going to be unpacking it all and looking for a better way. Let's do this! Hey, everybody. Thank you once again for joining us on this conversation. And we've been on this series talking about women in leadership. Today, we have a very special guest, Jennifer Lau. And Jennifer Lau is the executive director of Canadian Baptist Ministries. And she's been serving as the executive director since November of 2020. She's been there since 2002 in various different roles. In her time at CBM, Jennifer has traveled across Canada and to many countries around the world seeking to connect Canadian Baptists to the people CBM serves globally. Her passion is to help people situate their own faith journeys within the global community and to encourage them to faithfully follow Jesus into the world. That is such a great bio. I just got that off the site and I'm reading it right now and I'm just like, that is such an awesome job. That is so cool. And Jennifer, you know, before you come and introduce yourself, I have to say, the first time I met you, and this was a number of years ago, it was at a conference and you were a panel speaker. Someone had made a comment that if a church is not discipling people, mm-hmm. what should happen? And you said very plainly and very bluntly, you know what? Some churches should end if they're not discipling people. And I was like, whoa, that is someone I need to have more conversations with. I really appreciate that, you know, as, as we are considering what does it mean to be followers of Christ and as the church, then, you know, that is something that is very important for us to consider. So welcome, Jennifer, to our podcast. How have you been doing? Oh, I'm good. Thank you so much for inviting me. And John, I feel like I'm going to get hate mail after this, which is not <laughs> uncommon, actually. I do get hate mail once in a while for things that I've said, but I don't know. There might be some people who didn't like that comment that you just shared. That was a younger me. So maybe I've matured and mellowed since then. No, I am for sure that they sense the Holy Spirit's conviction and voice in that. So, you know, praise be to God. Amen. As always, Bernard, Xenia, and Shu are here. How are you guys doing? Hello, hello. Hi. Yo, yo. Yo, yo. It's going on. It's going on. So, Jennifer, you know, that was your official bio. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I I think my own self-introduction will not be as scintillating as that professional bio, which I hope is actually very truthful. Um, It is my passion to connect people with the work that God is doing around the world. I'll just share a bit about my background, maybe, and that might help people to know who I am. So I was born in Canada. I was born and raised here in Canada. And Originally from Saskatchewan, which surprises a lot of people because they don't don't usually think that I'm from Saskatchewan, but yes, <laughs> I am. I'm proud to be to say that I was born in Saskatchewan, uh, but I grew up mostly in Hamilton in Ontario. I've lived in Canada most of my life, except for a few years when I lived in the U.S. when I was working in the entertainment industry. And uh, I have two kids, and I have a husband. And what I like to do when I'm not working is I like to I like to cook and I like to eat particularly like to eat. Uh, I like to sing. I like to read. And when I'm not doing all those things, I'm the executive director at CBM. Very nice. Very nice. 
And something that I've seen you do over the last couple of years was a fundraiser for education and jumping on a trampoline. Yes, I did that I, this past week. Yes. I was like, how does that affect the body to jump on the trampoline that much? Especially at my age. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I wish I could say, you know, at 20 or 25, I'm sure it would have been fine. Even at 30, I think it would have been fine. At a certain point, you know, people get worried for your knees. I, I have to admit, I was worried for my knees as well, but I've survived the week and my knees still seem to be functional. So it actually was really fun. It was really fun to do. And last year I walked five kilometers a day. And that was what I my pledge was, was to do five kilometers a day. And it took so long. So I had to get up super early every day because to walk 5K, it takes a considerable amount of time. So I'd leave like an hour and a half before work started. So I'd be out there at like 6.30, 7 a.m. And then this year I thought, okay, there's no way. I can't do that anymore. So I said, okay, trampolining will be fun. It'll be quicker too. And it, it definitely was in terms of time. But in terms of difficulty... I may have to go back to walking. So we'll see what we'll see what next year is like unless I come up with something else. So we'll see. But it was fun and we raised a lot of money to support kids education globally, so that was fantastic. We surpassed our goal. Nice. Amen and praise God for that. How many did you do each day? 215. 215. So some people might be picturing like, you know, when you see professional trampler like really good people who trampoline, they're like doing leaps and jumps. I wasn't doing that. You know, I, I was just jumping up and down. So it was, it was not like a high level of difficulty, but at my age, any jumping up and down is a high level of difficulty. So, you know, for me, that was good. I wasn't planning to do any like fancy flips or anything like that. It's okay. You're just being modest. I know you were training <laughs> no. for the Olympics that are going on right now as we speak. And we need more Canadian representation. We do. You know? we do. Canada's doing pretty good. So we need more trampoliners. Yes. We do. There was a 47-year-old gymnast yes. who competed. And she's my new hero. So maybe there's still hope. I don't know. We'll see. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey into ministry? What was that like? Sure. Well, when you were reading my bio and you said 2002 is when I started working at CBM, you know, whenever I hear that, I still think I still think that's a typo. But it's not. I actually did start working there in 2002 and I was a really I was a younger, I was a young woman back then when I first started, but almost 19 years ago, which is really stunning to me that I've I've been at CBM that long a period of time. Uh, and I started there as the communications manager. That was my first ministry role. Before that, I was working in entertainment, as I said, and in nonprofit. And I really, at that time when I started at CBM, I had no idea what was going to be in front of me. I, I think I just thought of it as another job and I didn't realize it was going to be my calling. And so I soon realized that when I started working there, I could just see how God was changing me through the experiences, um, through the trips, through the people I got to meet and the relationships through the meaning that I found in my work, I could see that God had a plan, that he had put me there for a purpose. And so, you know, if I really look objectively back in those 19 years, I see that God used that experience, all those experiences to really transform me and to help me have a different understanding of my faith uh, within a global context. So, you know, a lot of people ask me, like, how can you have lasted so long there? Because people tend to switch jobs a lot more frequently now, but I have loved every year that I've been there. And there hasn't been a time when I thought, 
I could be doing something better. And so yeah, I think when that happens, you know, there's no reason to, to go elsewhere. So yeah, I'm still there. There might be some of my colleagues who think it's time for me to go elsewhere, but you know, for <laughs> me, I, I still love what I do and I love the people that I get to work with. So yeah, 19 years at CBM. Very nice. Very nice. And as we've been on this series talking about women in leadership, could you share with us whether that journey was an empowering and encouraging one or was it challenging and disheartening? Well, it's probably a bit of both. I would like to say that the journey was really empowering, but I don't think I can honestly say that fully. There are certainly people who along the way helped empower me and helped make space for me as a woman of color where there really were no other women of color present. So for those people, I'm, I'm so grateful. And, you know, those people, both men and women, they're Caucasian people. And they didn't see, they really looked past my gender and my race, but it wasn't in a way that was, you know, we're going to just pretend that, you know, that that doesn't exist. I think they acknowledged that there needed to be more diversity and they really were intentional about making space to have more diversity. And so really those people helped quite a lot to make me feel empowered. But, you know, of course, there was a lot, there were a lot of struggles along the way. And there were a lot of times that I questioned myself. And I thought, you know, even up until I took the role of executive director last year, I still questioned whether or not I was the right person to move into that role. And, And despite all the people around me who validated and said, and, you know, encouraged me and said, you need to apply for this role because you are the best person. God clearly is calling you into this role. He has prepared you for it. I still had doubts all the way up until the time when I actually went through the process, the, they did an extensive search process. And all the way through, I just said, God, if this is what you want, you know, you have to, you have to ease some of the, the doubts that I have about myself. And that was a really empowering process to actually go through that because I said, I just submitted it to God. And I said, if this is what you want for me, then you will make my heart feel at ease in going through it. And so I remember just submitting my resume and say, okay, it's done. I've submitted my resume. Now it's up to the search committee to decide what they want to do with that. And I remember after that, I just felt this great sense of relief and saying, you know what, I've given it over to God. I've done my part of it and whatever happens, happens. And so if he wants me in this, then then I'll be in it. And if he doesn't, there'll be something else. And so Yeah, I think it was a learning process for me, for sure. Sounds like a very humbling and surrendering type of posture that you approached it with. Well, I wanted to ask Xenia, particularly as another woman, (laughs) if you ever feel this, so what I shared about even having doubts about yourself, if you ever feel this thing called imposter syndrome, that a lot of particularly Asian women feel uh, when they move into leadership roles that they don't deserve to be there, that they somehow just got there out of luck or, you know, just by, by chance you were, you know, you're there, but that you haven't actually earned it. You don't deserve to be there. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah, I think I feel it more often than I would like to admit. My, my church plan's a little funny and we try to be as sort of equal as possible, but the, the buck stops with me. Mm. Um, and I, I have, I carry the spiritual authority of this little church plant. And some days I, I look around and I think, oh, <laughs> how did this happen? It happens also in academia 
And I found myself seriously questioning whether or not I was supposed to be here in my first semester of my PhD, in part because there was nobody else who looked like me. Yes. And in part because mm-hmm. uh, everybody else just seemed to know that they were there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And so some of it is just, you know, having really good friends to remind me of the truth. They say, no, we see you. We know you. We, we think this is God's calling on your life. Mm-hmm. And then some of it is just saying to the lies in your head, please get out. You don't have yeah. any space here. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Sounds very familiar to me too. So (laughs) I've lived that same experience. I've been in denominational meetings and meetings with all these church leaders from across the country. And I will be the only person, sometimes the only woman, and most often the only person of color in those spaces. And it's one of those, it's that kind of elephant in the room, you know, and luckily it's all been online, but I've been in some before COVID, I've been in some spaces too. When you walk in, you could just, you just stick out so much. You just think, oh my goodness, could I be invisible right now? And it's not that I don't deserve to be there, but it's just, you feel your difference, you know, and how, how you're just, you are it, (laughs) you know, you're covering all the diversity representation for everybody, you know? So yeah, being in those spaces where you're, you really stand out are, are challenging. And it's also that, I don't know if you feel this, but sometimes I feel responsible to mm. be that, that I don't want to use this word because they don't often mean it, but it's sort of like I'm the token. Yes. And so it's, well, what do you do in that? If I make a mistake, will this reflect badly? And then, mm. and then I, you know, you have to have a frank conversation with the Lord and just go, mm. and you know what? It's fine. The responsibility doesn't stop with me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a, yeah. it's really interesting when that happens. I'm also really small and petite, and okay. I do try to hide, at least okay. until I can read the room and get uh, a sense of who's in the room. I don't know how tall uh, you are, but because everyone's kind of equal tall. height. I'm unfortunately <laughs> tall. I'm hard to hide. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite tall for an Asian person. So <laughs> unfortunately, there's no hiding. Um, but I, I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. It's that kind of invisibility cloak of invisibility. We wish we had sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I kind of want to just follow up both from Jennifer and Xenia, because this is such an interesting topic that I wanted to ask, where do you think some of those factors and pressures come from? Like, where do they originate? Like what feeds into that? There are a lot of stereotypes about Asian women. Right. And so you see that reflected in the number of Asian women who are in work in professional settings. So it's a it's a large number. There's a large number of Asians in general who work in professional settings. I think the number is about 25% of all professionals in North America are Asian. So that's a that's a remarkably high number. But the number of Asian women who actually are ever allowed to go into senior leadership and executive level positions is minuscule. Mm. And so I think a lot of that has to do with the stereotypes that, you know, we're good workers, right? That we're capable people, that we're hardworking. We don't talk back. We're docile. You know, we'll be very obedient to our bosses and we'll be loyal, but we're not leaders. 
we're not good leaders. We don't have the assertiveness. We're not outspoken enough to be good leaders. And I'm, I'm absolutely certain that's not true because I know lots of Asian women who are wonderful leaders, but they're never given those opportunities to ever move into those senior leadership roles. And so I think that really works against us. Before you even walk into a room, you are judged. Right. And I'm sure there are many times I've walked into churches or I've walked into places where I've been invited to speak and they maybe had no idea what I was going to look like, where I've already been judged when I walk in and they're surprised, you know, when they see you're an Asian person or, you know, you're an Asian woman. It's like, oh, surprise, you know. So, yeah, I think we have to work against all of those stereotypes that are unfortunately alive and well across all the sectors, including in churches you know, in the church sector and in, you know, the charitable sector and in Christian organizations. Okay. I kind of curious to hear, like, what was the difference being in the Christian organization? And like, when you were working kind of in, I guess, in the public sphere, mm. and like, being an Asian woman in those two mm. spheres, like, was there a difference? Or was it kind of the similar experience in both? Mm. So in my very first job, I used to work on a television show. So that was my very first job coming out of university. I was working for an actor on a television show and I worked as his assistant. So it was kind of my dream job because I was really young. I was like 22 coming out of school and I showed up on the set on the very first day and I was really excited to meet the cast and the crew. At lunchtime, one of the other actors said to my boss, why did you hire a Chinese person? Don't you know they're all liars? So that was my first foray into the working world. And I knew at that time, you know, he was furious. He's, he was African-American. He passed away recently, but he's, he, was, he was an African-American man. He was furious with that comment. And he and the other Black cast member were the only two people who spoke up and said, how can you say that? So that was kind of my experience in the working world. And I, I think stereotypes honestly are everywhere. So in, even in a Christian organization, when I first started working at CBM, there were no most, there were other Asian people there, but they were all in the finance department, I believe. There might, I think we had a part-time receptionist as well, but uh, they had never had anybody working on the communication side or the church engagement side, the side that is front-facing, who was not white. And so that was a learning curve for them. And, and, you know, on top of that, a woman, right? And so there's just, there was lots of layers. And I think a lot of learning for people who worked there. I mean, CBM has changed drastically. I mean, to, you would not, you would not recognize, it's not the same organization it was when I started working there. A lot has changed. We are an incredibly diverse organization now and very young. Our leadership is very young. Uh, so we have really, really changed our organizational culture. But back then, um, it certainly was a traditional mission organization, as most people would think it was. You know, it was quite male-driven, and there were very few women uh, in leadership roles. And that brings us really to the conversation that we're having today about gender equity. I mean, it's clear why it's such an important topic to talk about and to start bringing out into the light. But how do we even start having this type of conversation? Especially because, you know, as you had said, certain stereotypes have perpetuated and both in the church world and outside of the church. And where do we start when it comes to such a big topic and yet often it is dismissed or not talked about? Well, I think first we have to start looking within ourselves. 
to see, to address some of the biases that we have. And we all have biases, right? And I think we, we really have to be honest about some of those biases and confronting them. But I also think we need to have conversations in our churches because it is not a topic that we ever like to, <laughs> that as far as I know, we don't really like to talk about gender very much, gender inequity in our churches. And I don't think, I'm trying to remember how many times I've ever heard a sermon about it, or I've heard it addressed about how we assign gender roles for even serving in the church. You know, I think about how many times I've been asked to do the nursery or do like, it's an assumption because I'm a woman, I must be good at taking care of babies, I guess, which I happen to like babies. That's, there's nothing to do with the babies, but you know, <laughs> why did they ask, not ask my husband to work in the nursery? Right. So there's these kinds of assumptions about, you know, gender roles that are made in our churches. And you think about how many female lead pastors that you might know, right? There's probably not that many. Like if we think about, I don't know very many. So we might allow female pastors to be maybe a worship pastor or, uh, you know, children's pastor, youth pastor, but to become a lead pastor, there are lots of churches I know who would not probably not want to have a woman as the lead pastor in their church. Right. And so these are all the things that are kind of unspoken. They're never talked about. And sometimes we just accept it as, well, this is okay. You know, this is just the way it is. This is just our, this is our tradition. This is our, our culture, particularly in Asian churches. Uh, we're fighting so many things in Asian churches as, as Asian women. You know, we're fighting all the, the cultural norms um, you know, of age, respecting age and background and gender. So we just accept all those things as, as being status quo. It's fine. We just go along with it, right? So, you know, somehow we've conflagrated this, like the ideal that, you know, that only men carry the authority of God and, and we've made this become biblical, right? Like we, we somehow justify it by saying it's biblical that only men carry the authority of God. Well, that's not actually scriptural, right? So I, <laughs> this is where I have a problem with it. And, you know, when people like to take certain verses very literally, but they don't take other verses literally, right? So some people like to take the verses of Paul very literally and with, without context. And yet there are so many other verses they do not take literally at all. And they'll say, well, that was for back then. We don't, we don't care about that now. Right. And so I have a, you know, I have a problem with that. Um, and I have a problem, particularly when we use scripture as justification to keep people subordinate or oppressed. Right. I, I don't, I don't think that's what the Bible was meant for. Right. The Bible is about freedom. It's not about uh, the suppression of other people. And so whenever people are using the Bible as justification to suppress women, I, I, we have to call that out. You know, even if it's in our churches, even if it's being done by our pastors, we have to call that out. I would suggest that you drop your mic, but I'm pretty sure that would break your mic. So that was a huge statement. Oh, no. That was a huge oh. statement. And it was such a good statement. I hate and mails coming. I'm no, sure. no. <laughs> it will all be the encouraging emails. You'll be just invited to every conference from oh, now on. No. Oh, no. It will goodness. be amazing. Oh, will thank be you for amazing. the support, though. <laughs> I'm amongst, I feel safe amongst you to say those things, as I know in certain people, I can't say those things. You know what? There's always room for conversation and dialogue. And sure. our world has become far too black and white and not enough nuance in between, right? So we like to just cancel people if they're on the, the wrong side of us, but there's always should be space for disagreement. Like, like just thinking of what you're saying just now, I have friends who are on both sides of, of yeah. you know, th this position. 
And it is interesting to hear what, you know, or, or sometimes I just even think, man, people are just going to stick into their own realm, <laughs> you know, their own camp. And then they're just okay with that. But like you're saying, which I think is, you know, the key part of any kind of peacemaking mm-hmm. endeavor or knowing more and more what, what God is telling us in the word is having that dialogue yes. together and, and bringing, for me, a lot of it has been what, what changed my mind about women ministry was having a lot of conversations, mm-hmm. learning from a lot of different sources. But sometimes it's, it's like, we're not going to have this conversation because this is what Paul, like you said, this is what Paul said, and that's it. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, that, that's an interpretation. That's how some people are that's interpreting true. that. And some theologians or commentaries are saying that. And actually now I think even more so, you know, more than ever, some of these commentaries and guys are getting railed, railed and <laughs> very, very well. So with some of the great books being written about this yes. topic, better yes. understanding how some subjugation and oppression has happened in that regard, using mm-hmm. scripture to a certain place. Yes. But having that conversation is the first place because you you can't move this That's person right. and coerce them into your position. And I'm sure we all of us here have tried to, you know, maybe how do we, how do I help this person understand? But you need that dialogue. You need the conversation to get started, mm-hmm. the relationship to keep building so that mm-hmm. it is a safe space to talk about those things. Absolutely. Yeah. We've lost that ability to have constructive dialogue within the church. Like it has become so di- divisive every, you know, the, the issues we really care about have become so divisive that you, either you fall on the right, you know, my side, or else you're wrong, you know, and that's just, it's sad to see how it's, it's, you know, become that way within the church. But yeah, this, this particular issue, I just need, we just need way more openness and women need to be, and I have to put this back on my own sisters. We need to be way more open about how it makes us feel when, you know, Mm. I, I, there have been times that I have been made to feel as though my opinion does not matter, you know, that, you know, though you may have a seat at the table, you don't really have a voice at the table. You're just, you know, as, as Xenia said, a token. And we need to tell people how that makes us feel, you know, when that happens to us. I remember, so my colleague, I won't share his name, but my colleague told me he was always against women in ministry until he took a class with several women who were called to be pastors. And those women shared their experience of how it made them feel when men would tell them and that their calling was wrong, that they were being denied, that they could live out their calling. And when he heard those women speak from their own experience and about their own feelings, it changed his mind. And so now he's, he's a champion of, of women in ministry, but just to see that complete change, it came from having relationships with people and, and hearing their stories and understanding how he had made people feel with some of the comments that he had made and his views. And so I, it, it does matter. Like we need to be more open about these things. What is, I think so heartbreaking about what you just shared was that because of something that you said, it wasn't received or accepted just because you were a woman or mm-hmm. a person of color. And that is absolutely heartbreaking. That is far from the heart of God. And mm. even as you were sharing that that too as well, thinking about like, oh, if it just happened to be the exact same words, exact same sentence that was coming out yeah. of perhaps a man, yeah. that it would be received differently. 
Mm. That blows my mind. And and it's something that as mm. we talk about, especially the mission of God, how God redeems and restores all things, how the gospel transforms every part of us, and especially these type of dynamics and th- these types of relationships with one another. And of mm. course, about equity as well. It mm-hmm. is just really sad to see that there are still specific aspects of our lives that we close off that transformation too. Mm-hmm. And when you say that gender is a big one, I think like we've had this series so far and we've been listening to different voices and you know, we're praying that God would move in this area. And it, you know, we're thankful that of course right now there there's been more authorship on these topics about how these ideas, this ideology has been formed and the history behind it and perhaps where we can start to take steps, but oh man, perhaps it really does start with that posture of wanting just to listen and wanting mm. to be coming alongside one another and to be more open, as you said, to be sharing these these feelings. Mm. And and I'm wondering too, as I don't know if it's your experiences or your the experience of others that you have heard, what has been some of the responses when those feelings have been shared? Mm. Have they been received? with openness, with a sense Mm -hmm. of repentance or with a sense of wanting to figure out a new way, the perhaps the ways in which God is Mm -hmm. there and leading us. And so Mm -hmm. what have either your experiences been or the experiences that you've heard of others? I don't think people intend to wound other people. I think on the whole, most people don't intend to hurt others. And I think sometimes we don't realize the consequences of our actions. And so we just, we stereotype people, we put them into certain boxes and we just carry on that way. Even if someone says, you know, you can't put me in this box. And when you do that, it makes me feel like this, right? And then I think sometimes there is repentance. People say, well, I'm sorry, that's not what I intended it to be. It doesn't matter what your intention is. It matters what the outcome of it is. Mm. And so, yeah, sometimes it's not even about the outcome for us. I think women just need, we need to just say it. Uh, you know, even for our own sake, it doesn't matter what the reaction is. Yeah, we're working toward change. We're hoping to push toward change in attitude, but we need to say it for our own sake. We need to feel like we're empowered to have a voice and not to think, okay, you know what? I should just keep silent because I'm going to offend my boss. I'm going to offend my pastor. Sharing your experiences and your feelings about how others, what others do to you is not about offending others. And if they feel offended by it, it's seriously time to consider leaving (laughs) is what I think. Because I think a a person who genuinely seeks to care for others would not feel offended if someone said to them, you know, when you said this, it made me feel like this, made me feel this small. A person who genuinely seeks to care for others would not feel offended by that. They would look at themselves and say, I'm sorry, I won't do that again. And if a person doesn't feel that way, I would really not want to be under their leadership. <laughs> so I would look elsewhere. Oh, man. No, I appreciate those words a lot, Jennifer. And especially in the context of this conversation, I think that those are words that we need to hear. Mm. We need to rethink what good leadership is like. Sure. I think we we always think the loudest voice in the room must be the best leader, like the the squeaky wheel. You know, He must know what he's doing because he's always the loudest one. He has lots to say about every topic. And I have seen lots of women in kind of leadership, almost senior leadership roles, but kind of in kind of management. They just lead differently and they're excellent at what they do, but they lead differently. Their voice is different. The way they communicate is different. And somehow we just think that's not as good 
right? That's just not what we're used to. And so, you know, we just need to relearn all of these things that these, you know, ideas that we have about what makes a good leader. Because I think even for myself, do I lead differently than, you know, the previous executive director? I'm the first woman ever to have this role. Do I lead differently than any of the executive directors for the past 150 years? Probably. I would think so. But does that make me a worse leader? Probably not. Right? It's just we need to relearn what the expectations are, what makes a good leader. Right. And so it's a it's just a different communication style, a different style of you know working together. Sometimes what I've found is with some some women may think I have to be like this male leader right. to be this kind of leader, That's which right. is not true either. That's not true. That, that we we can elevate people yes. women with other giftings or other approaches, and yes. we can submit under that kind of leadership too. And they Absolutely. bring a whole new thing that could be what God really wants to the table. But Absolutely. That takes mm-hmm. a lot of humility and a lot of yeah, just be able to mutually submit to one another. And this person is who God's put in, 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 in the seat. So let's, mm-hmm. let's follow where God's leading mm-hmm. that. And it's, it's, yeah, that's what I found too. Or sure. <laughs> well, maybe sure. it's not the seat, but seats. Maybe we mm-hmm. need to think the whole framework of leadership maybe. as a whole. Cause Absolutely. like, you know, like mm-hmm. it's still, you know, even in our conversation is that particular leader, mm-hmm. with that kind of leadership skills, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. You know, if we are honest and we are saying like, we all have our strengths and weaknesses yeah. and idiosyncrasies, like maybe it is time to even rethink as mm-hmm. Christians, as, mm-hmm. you know, people who are part of, you know, the ecclesial narrative, what kind of different way of, mm. you know, leading together look like. And, mm-hmm. and I think like that in itself should also kind of nurture a different posture in, in what like as she was talking about, mutual submission mm-hmm. is practiced, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like in my role, my main job is to make space for other voices to be heard. That is what I hope to do in Boom. my role. And <laughs> if fantastic. I'm not doing, if I'm not doing that, then I deserve to be fired because it should never be about me. Is it? And and that's just unfortunately what we have created in our culture is this kind of, it's like this cult of the personality, right? The big personality. And so if you don't fall into like, it's all about me when I walk into the room, I'm supposed to, yeah, okay. Well, you know what? It should never be about one person. And I don't even think that's, that's I don't think that's biblical, frankly. <laughs> I don't think that's what God intended for us. I think it requires tons of humility. You know, as you said, it requires lots of humility when you're in those, you're entrusted with those roles to make space for other people. And, you know, if, yeah, I, that is my main goal. I I hope that I will be making space for other people to be heard for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that. And hopefully that can be the case in churches and society and to have these conversations, to be heard, to be able to submit these things up to the Lord and for him to lead and bring us into this new way of, of interacting with one another. It's, it's so needed. Mm, and so mm-hmm. as we kind of wrap up today in our conversation, mm-hmm. you know, we just want to ask you, you know, what does it mean to be an ally? You know, I think this kind mm-hmm. of takes a look from the different angle. Mm-hmm, so what does it mm-hmm. mean to be an ally? What does it mean to be a champion of representation and mm-hmm. equity? And perhaps this can be speaking particularly for men too, because yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a little bit different. Yeah. So what, what we talked about earlier, just listening, uh, I think it's probably the first step is just listening to our stories and, and understanding that our struggles as women are very unique. 
they're they're different than your experiences as men. You know, though we're of the same race, maybe um, our struggles are very different as women, and we need to spend more time. I think we need we need men to spend more time listening to us. And you know, I want to stress that we're not a problem to be solved. So <laughs> I think I've had this conversation with my husband before about. <laughs> When I tell you something, I'm not asking you to solve the problem. Just the same way when I'm sharing something about an experience that's happening happening to me, I'm not asking you to solve that problem. I just want you to listen. And I particularly want you to understand what my experience feels like uh, when when I'm living it, what it feels like. I I want your empathy. I want your ear. I'm not asking you to, to help me figure out how to change that situation. I guess also just making opportunities available. So I think about, you know, for me, the, there are so many men who were in privilege, positions of privilege, who really made the way for me. And, you know, I think they really made it possible for me to have the role that I have now because they use their privilege in a really good way to make sure that I had a voice, that I had space to be myself. And, you know, I would really love to see more male Christian leaders do that and be very intentional about inviting women into these conversations where a lot of times we're not invited into. And I guess just on a practical way, I think, you know, we have to model something, particularly, you know, to our next generations. We model it, you know, I think, you know, many, I don't know, I think of, do all of you have kids? I don't know. I know John does, but I don't know. Yeah. You think about your daughters, you know, if you have daughters. What is the world that you want them to grow up in? You know, what is the future? You want their future to, to be better than the one that we live now, right? And our reality now. And so I, to me, it's very important that I always model to my daughter that I support gender equity globally, like all over the world where women, you know, are not given the, the same opportunities as men. And that's just, that's every statistic will tell you that, right? So So very practically as a family, we support educating girls around the world. We support, you know, entrepreneurship for women um, through microcredit. You know, we support training female pastors in places where they won't have access if they don't get support. So these are all kind of practical ways that I think I model to my children that that this subject matters, that we need to be, you know, empowering women as much as we can, because we still have a very, very long way to go. That is very good word for us to end off our time and to continue to dwell with. Oh, thank you, Jennifer, so much for sharing your experiences, for sharing your reflections with us. And we thank you for your voice. Thank you for how you lead and, and for teaching us today as well. We really appreciate you being with us today. Oh, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I wanted to end on a hopeful note because I think we've talked about a really difficult topic. And I think the hopeful note is that change is happening. Mm. Right, So we have to remember that and we have to hold on to that because if we don't, we will feel so discouraged that we won't care anymore. Right. And indifference really is the problem is when we, we are so tired of having the, you know, of fighting that we just kind of give in, we need to just, we need to keep going because change is happening. And we do see that in many places. So thank you all so much. I really enjoyed the conversation today. Yes. Yes. And Lord quicken your change. Mm. Quicken your change, yes. Lord. <laughs> Amen. It is excruciatingly slow. <laughs> Way too slow. <laughs> but yes. Anyways, thank you again, Jennifer. Thank you. Take care. And thank you to all of you for listening to our conversation today. These were some pretty heavy and some big topics. We'd love to hear what you think. You could always reach us on Facebook 
Instagram, Twitter, or by email. Our email is contact.campodcast at gmail.com. That's contact.campodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. How are you wrestling through these big topics? How have you seen it showing up in your lives? If you haven't done so already, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. That really helps us to get this podcast out there. And also, please remember to share it with your friends as well. Once again, you've been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and we hope you'll join us on this journey. See you next time.